Well, hey guys, welcome back to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and it's great to be with you as always. Uh, before we jump into the episode today, I had something I wanted to talk through with you guys real quick. Um, so as you probably know, you've heard me talk about Go Hunt in the past, and I've had several Go Hunt guests on the show, um, and I've been you know, partnered with Go Hunt for a little bit of time now. Um, but I'm actually going to be moving away from that partnership and um, I'm going to be working with Onyx, actually, Onyx Hunt. So, um, you know, everything I said in my previous episodes about Go Hunt is 100% true and authentic. Uh, I think Go Hunt Insider is an excellent tool for research and uh, draw odds and that kind of thing and finding tags and units out west. It's a great tool, um, but for several reasons, um, you know, I decided to go ahead and start working with Onyx. Now, um, you know, I, I don't think that it was a secret, but you know, I had been using Onyx maps uh, forever, for years. I've been an Onyx Elite member, um, gosh, for probably as long as Onyx has been out, almost. Um, you know, I think it's most guys recognize it as kind of the the number one tool as far as mapping goes. Um, and they've recently just acquired uh, Top Rut and started working with Hunt and Fool as well to um, to bring in the draw odds and research side of things as well. But um, you know, I don't need to go into a whole bunch of detail about it. Um, but basically, you know, um, Onyx is a great company. It's a great product. I think their maps are second to none. And the other side of things, they're kind of um, working to to uh, to get better and improve on. And um, you know, I have nothing against Go Hunt. Like I said, I got some great friends over there. It's a good company. Insider's a great tool. But uh, for for me and for my business and what I'm trying to build here, uh, it just made the most sense to partner with Onyx. And I'm really excited to be doing so. There's some great folks at Onyx. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed just my interactions with them so far. So there's going to be more coming down the line about that. I'm going to have some guests from Onyx on the show, but, um, you know, I wish all my buddies over at Go Hunt the best and, uh, but I'm looking forward to this new chapter of being partnered with Onyx maps. So, uh, I am really excited about it. If you're watching online, you'll probably notice I'm wearing an Onyx shirt. So, um, you're going to be hearing more about that coming down the line, but, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm excited to be working with Onyx. It's a great company, and I've been using them for years. And their maps are just kind of the industry standard. I mean, pretty much everybody uses Onyx. It seems like if you don't use Onyx maps, it's an amazing tool for um, you know if you want to do DIY Western hunts or even you know anywhere in the country. Uh, they have amazing mapping both on the desktop and on your phone. Um, like I said, I've been an elite member for years. And uh, if you're not a member and you'd like to sign up and check it out, you can use the code QUEST20 and save 20% on your membership. Uh, and that will help support the show as well. But um, yeah, it's just uh, a great thing that uh, I'm able to kind of forge some new partnerships in this space. You know, also recently announced uh, working with Barnes Bullets out of Utah, as well as Seekins Precision. And I got um, one more exciting announcement coming soon. Uh, I'm not sure when this will air. I may have already announced it, but um, basically I'm going to be partnered also with Loophole Optics, which I'm very excited about. I use their stuff, uh, you know, shooting, filming all of season one, and I'm going to be using even more of their stuff kind of exclusively uh, while filming season two. So really stoked about some amazing partnerships that I've been able to forge um, already with Barnes Bullets, Onyx Hunt, Seekins Precision, and now Loophole Optics. So very excited about those. Um, I've been very intentional about who I partner myself with because um, I don't want to just work with anybody who writes me a check. You know, I want to work with good companies that make quality products that I believe in. Um, and you know, some of these companies like Loophold and Seekins and Barnes actually, I I use their products all the first season during filming my hunts, not because they were paying me, not because I was partnered with them but because I chose to use those products and wanted to use those products. And, um, and then, you know, after taping, I came to them and, and kind of, um, sought out a partnership. And, uh, I'm very fortunate that they were, 
um, happy to jump on board and uh, and and going forward, we're going to be partnered with some of those companies. I'm looking forward to building more, but um, very excited about the quality of all my partners so far and uh, the products that they make. And uh, I'm just very proud to be working with these companies and um, and looking forward to adding to that list. So I want you guys to know that I'm going to do everything in my power to be completely authentic through this whole process and and really not promote products that I don't believe in or would not use myself. And that is absolutely the case uh, to this point with, with everything that, uh, that I'm partnering with right now, um, amazing companies that I'm proud to, to work with. So um, anyway, I just want to talk through that with you guys um, so you don't get surprised when you see the announcement or hear me talking about it. I want to just kind of go through my thought process there. Um, but anyway, this week, I have an awesome guest. Um, you may have heard of him before. I'm not sure. He's been on a few podcasts, but he's known as the Modern Day Mountain Man. Uh, his name is Billy Malls, and he is um, a Alaskan guide and um, just been a, a big game hunting guide and adventurer for many years. He's very knowledgeable. He's also a believer. And so we talk about hunting in Alaska and faith, and um, it's just a great conversation with a really solid dude, so I hope you guys enjoy it, and um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you on the next episode, and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Billy Malls. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and I'm here today with my guest, Billy Malls. I say that right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Is yeah. it Malls or Moles? Moles, I pronounce, yeah, I pronounce it Moles, like mole on the ground, yeah. Okay, I've heard people say both, so I should have asked before we started rolling, but I'm here with Billy Moles. How you doing, dude? Doing all right. All right, cool, man. So um, if you guys haven't seen or heard of billy he's got some epic youtube content he's been a guide for a really long time but he can probably introduce himself better than i can so billy's and we've never really talked before so i'm excited to hear about you a little bit so um just give me a little bit of your background and then kind of what you're up to now and and just tell me a little bit about yourself man yeah born and raised on a farm in wisconsin still where i live today and is that where um, you are now or are you up yep. in Alaska? Yep. Yep. I'm in, I'm, I'm, I only go to Alaska anymore, you know, as a young, well, yeah. So I, uh, just love trapping. My grandpa was a farmer and a professional trapper. He'd trap four or five months, uh, every winter in Northern Wisconsin. And then he'd just build a log cabin and come home when the spring thaw came, sell his furs, buy seed and start a wow. new farming season. So his, his pictures, his lifestyle inspired me, and um, I started trapping. Late 80s, the fur market fell out. I wanted to be a professional trapper, you know, as a young kid, mm-hmm. kind of like my grandpa, but I didn't want to farm. I just wanted to trap, you yeah. know. And uh, once the fur market fell out, I realized, well, that's, I can't make a living off of that. Started far, uh, tra- uh, hunting, loved that. And, and my grandpa said, Billy, if you want outdoor adventure, Alaska's the place you know, that's, yeah. that's the place to go. And had he been, had your grandfather come up to Alaska before, or he just heard no, about it? He never had. He wrote, he said he wrote it to an outfitter one time and, you know, probably realistically probably didn't have the money yeah. um, or the time he went, my grandpa went to uh, Ontario a lot, moose hunting mm-hmm. himself, moose. He really loved moose hunting. Uh, but really it was just the outdoor adventure. If you watch my YouTube channel, you'll hear me talk about lightning Creek, you know, just, just, going around the the next bend in the river not knowing what was ahead i mean that just lit a fire inside of me that's what i loved that's still what i love today um went to alaska went to a guide school in montana at 19 and worked for an outfitter in idaho that fall wrote every outfitter i could find in alaska the next year started out as a packer like most guys and did that for two years and have been guiding there now um 25 years um you know when i was young when i first started i'd be there i'd do spring brown bear i'd guide salmon fishermen during the summer 
and then I'd do the fall hunts, and then I'd come home, I'd wash my clothes, and then I'd drive to Idaho, and I guided in the Frank Church River No Return for seven years, oh, seven nice. or eight years. Um, and then eventually I got I got kind of burned out on fishing. I, I figure fish guiding is like adult daycare, man. It just <laughs> I'm not a very good fisherman uh, to boot, so I don't know. It just that just wasn't my calling. And yeah. eventually I'm the same, man. I like fishing, but like I could never like like I can't imagine like traveling all the way like to Alaska or something just to catch a fish. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love fishing, but like I won't have a tag in my pocket, man. Yeah, I guess it's different strokes for different folks. What I find <laughs> yeah. interesting, though, is a lot of big game hunters, this is something that I've observed a lot. So many, if they if they hunt big game a lot in their younger years, many of them revert to, well, maybe, maybe revert isn't the right word, but <laughs> they, they kind of almost like cross over, and then many go to wing shooting or hmm. fly fishing. I think they just get to something very simple, basic and element, elementary, kind of like uh, go or like traditional archery. They yeah. get to that point. It's kind of like, and, and I honestly, I kind of feel like maybe to some degree I'm starting to switch over. You mm. know, I got a got a lab dog like puppy here now. So, but I, I'm more interested in wing shooting than I ever was. For me, when I was young, it was all big game. You yeah, know, that's what I wanted to do, and I still love that. But I also find myself just wanting to just do things more simple and mm -hmm. uh yeah i don't know if pure is the right word but i kind of want to fail more i don't um i don't know i i, I kind of i think i'm starting to understand that but i've noticed that that's very very common thread yeah. with big hunters as they get older maybe the physical challenge is also a little bit too exerting too and they just want something simple that they can do simply yeah and, um, yeah, I mean, who I am. And then now today doing uh, ever since I started filmed my hunts, started producing. Basically, I made home video for my grandpa and over time had all these hunts compiled, um, made a video, ran a television show for a couple of years, got burned out on that real fast. I'm mm. not big into the marketing aspect. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I that. hated that and I just like this is not for me and uh, the pressure of it. I didn't like. And so I just continued to film my videos and uh, over time, you know, still still working at that. Um, I do some hunt consulting as well. Guys that want to go hunting, they'll contact me. I'll help them um, find hunts. And then I do uh, a lot of public speaking anymore. That's that's growing pretty fast. Something that I really enjoy. I get to share my passion uh, with Christian outreach events, wild game dinners, doing a fair bit of corporate speaking. I really enjoy that. You get to you get a lot of people that are non-hunters. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'd say probably most of the feedback I get um, at, at particularly corporate events are from non-hunters and a lot of women, because, you know, in, in our in our mainstream media, hunting is portrayed in a less than favorable light most yeah, times. And sure. you can kind of give them the truth of how the wilderness really, truly works and kind of open their eyes to the to the amazing natural phenomenon of nature. And and they and then they, it kind of knocks their defense and their shell, cracks totally. their shell a little bit for them to recognize that, hey, there's more to nature and there's more to hunting than what I've been told. And so you can kind of break for those sure. walls down. So I really, I'm really enjoying corporate speaking and getting that opportunity to speak to audiences yeah. that have a guard up when you start talking. Yeah, I've seen that same thing too. Like when I, when people like ask what I do, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm you know I'm starting a hunting show or whatever. Or people who are like kind of not anti, but they're not hunters either. And then you start to explain like what what we actually do, what you know what it's like, and they're like, oh okay, oh well, okay, well that's cool. You know what I mean? It's like like you said, they have this totally like wrong picture of what it is in their head. And you start to actually explain like what you do, and they're like, whoa, okay, well, that's really cool. I can get behind that. Yeah, there's more to you know belching and farting and uh <laughs> ripping around on four-wheel drive trucks in the mud and killing everything that moves that's not what it is <laughs> for sure yeah i mean for some people it is maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's a little of that <laughs> yeah um so yeah man so just for just for you for context like my first backcountry trip ever was in alaska actually which is kind of crazy, but, um, so I, it's got a special place in my heart. Um, we did a DIY walk-in 
caribou hunt on a controlled use area. Um, spent a few days there and then had to move somewhere else that had a few more people in it, but, uh, amazing experience changed my life, man. Um, what was, what was your kind of first Alaska experience? And did you have a moment where it's like, or did something, what is it about Alaska that kind of captivated you to want to kind of really build your life around, uh, spending time up there? Yeah. The first hunt that I was on was on Kodiak. I was a packer. Uh, we shot this huge bear. We had to pack the thing out like 11 miles. I mean, it was like a 10 really quick. One second. Let me jump in really quick. Um, I think a lot of people might be familiar with it, but just briefly walk me through, like when you say you're a packer, like the process. So people know the process of becoming a registered guide in Alaska, just briefly. Basically you're a human mule for a couple of years. I don't even know what the law is, but I did it for two years. You're there to basically be a mule, to carry, be the grunt, dig the outhouse, do the bidding, do the dishes, do whatever, keep your mouth shut and work hard. And then, you know, if you do that, um, you know, eventually somebody will notice and uh, teach you a little bit along the way. So basically you got to pay your dues and prove that you're going to stick, you know, that you're worth investing in. Um, And then, and then you can get a guide's license. And then I think you got to be, uh, uh, assist what's called an assistant guide, which most people would consider to be a, a guide in right. the West, let's say. And then I think it's three years after that. And I think it's like eight hunts and uh, some letters of recommendation. Then you can get a registered guide license, which is basically an outfitter's license. Yeah. And, then, um, you know, and then you can contract your own hunts legally. Did you do any training for when you went out for your first packing assignment or you just kind of went in blind and just kind of hoped for the best? <laughs> I was doing uh, my training my whole life on a farm, throwing hay bales, milking cows, and pitching manure. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, that, that basically you just—they just need a warm body, a strong back, and a weak mind, as the saying goes. <laughs> um, and to being a farm kid, that's probably what opened some doors up for me. The guide school—you don't need that to start in guiding. It's just—I didn't know any other way. Yeah. It's a way to get your foot in the door. And then that guide school that I went to. They, they basically set me up with a job with an outfitter in, oh, okay. in Idaho. So nice. it was just a way to start because I, yeah. I didn't know what else to do. You wouldn't sure. need to do that. But, yeah, to get a guide license, it's I don't know if it's 60 or 30 days now, two calendar years, you have to have a hunting license and a letter of recommendation from an outfitter is okay. basically the gist of it. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, it's just Kodiak was wild. It was big. I mean, it was humbling. Very, very humbling. I've, mm-hmm. I've talked about it. I've talked about it on some other, um, on my videos, but what was all entailed in the hunt, but I couldn't pack that bear hide. I mean, that, that hide was over 150 pounds. And if, and if I'm being honest, I think we were, we were 13 miles up our, our spike camp. We spiked up wearing, um, hip boots, 10 days worth of food. We had snowshoes, tons of snow. We shot the bear two miles upstream from where we were spiked out, packed it back to camp, thought, you know, almost, I mean, I, I honestly, I zipped myself up in the sleeping bag that night because I didn't, I actually didn't have snowshoes. And so my hip boots were filled with snow because Jeez. the snow was like, I don't know, 10 feet deep. I don't know. The only thing that stopped me from sinking to oblivion was my crotch, you know? <laughs> and so my hip boots That's were crazy. filled with snow. We waited for the bear because he was bedded on the edge of a cliff for hours, like five hours. And I was frozen. Finally, it's almost dark. We scared the bear, so he walks up into this avalanche chute of snow boulders so that he wouldn't roll down into this crevasse because the, the guide knew that if the bear falls into that crevasse, we can't get down there and yeah. get out. And so we'd lose the bear. But long story short, we get the bear, go back to camp that night, and I'm so cold. I didn't eat. I just crawled in the sleeping bag, got buck naked, and I zipped my cheap sleeping bag. I just prayed that it was enough. I zipped it up as tight as I could, and I tucked it around my face, and I just cinched it shut. And I woke up, I was like, I might die. I, I mean, I, I, I figured I'd probably live, but I, in my mind, I was like, well, if I die, I die. And wow. I, mean, I couldn't do anything about it. I was just so cold. And then I woke up, I don't know, hours later, and I was drenched in sweat, thank God. Oh, geez. <laughs> so I, I warmed up, and then the next morning, man, I started eating, went up, packed this bear out, and we, get, we skin it out, pack it. And the next day, we were packing it out, and I made it, I don't know, two thirds of the way. So maybe like seven, seven miles and I'm, I'm done. We crossed the Creek. We're, it's so brushy. So we're kind of walking in the Creek, but it was a, a legit Creek, you know, borderline river. And then you'd have these four or five foot cut banks that you'd yeah. have to 
crawl up on bear crawl. Yeah. The pack weighed easily 150 pounds, easily. Uh, the bear was huge. You know, Were your feet just like stuff. trashed from being wet and walking oh, that far yeah. and hip boots? No, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, like they're just... soaking wet. That's all you had. No crocs. Yeah. No so you probably had like the skin just like hanging off your feet like a zombie. Yeah, well, we 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 weren't that many days in yet, but I mean that was the least of my problems. Yeah, I just remember like I couldn't keep up to the guide, and I just remember thinking of my family. I remember one day I was in the middle of the creek and it was cold, but I just dipped my hat in the creek, filled it with water, and just threw it on my head because I was drenched in sweat. I was hot. I was just struggling so hard, and eventually I get up to the guide, and he's sitting there, and he's like, "Give me your pack." And I'm like, no, Craig, I got it. He's like, give me your pack. You can't keep up. We got to get back to the Zodiac because the tide was going yeah. up. We had to get back to the shore. And then our camp was four or five miles up the way. And he knew the tide was going out. And he wanted to get back to base camp and drink beer. And uh, so he took the pack. I took his. I mean, his was still 120 pounds. It was still stupid heavy. But anyways, long story short, we get back. We race out. The tide's going out. We hustle. We get into the water. And, I mean, it was just four or five hours of just gut level exertion. And then all of a sudden there we are, we're cruising in the boat and I'm, and there I am just looking at the mountains. I mean, Kodiak is, is rugged. It's, yeah. it's rugged, rugged, rugged. The mountains are steep, much of it, and they're thick and brushy. And I'm just looking, we're in Uyak Bay and I'm just looking and I'm like, dang, I, I can't do it. I, I can't, I don't, I don't, I couldn't pack the bear out. I'm, I've, I'm going to go home a failure. And just sitting there for a while, and I don't know if the guide sensed it. It was kind of really the first bit of encouragement that he gave me. Not that he was, like, mean, but he was just quiet. And he punched me in the thigh, and he said, hey, man, you packed that bear farther than I thought you would. <laughs> I look yes. at him, and I'm like, I'm like really? And he's like, yeah, you did pretty good. He said, how old are you? He said, I'm 19. And he's like, yeah, man. He said, endurance will come with age. He said, I've, I've probably hit my peak when I was about 28, 30. He said, it'll come. You did good. Nice. I mean, he breathed, you know, power, yeah. life and death is in the tongue. And that For man sure. breathed life in me. I mean, if, if I wouldn't have gotten that encouragement, and I mean, I was a new man. And, you know, it was miserable to answer your question. That first month I packed two hunts, it was miserable. And I remember afterwards, I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. Or during the hunt, I was like, man, this is tough. It's cold. It's miserable. The days are long. It's boring. Yeah. But then when I was away from it, it was just something calling me. It's just like, man, I can't wait to go back. Yeah. Isn't that amazing too? I mean, just how how powerful a well-timed piece of encouragement can be. I mean, literally it can save somebody almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't know what that means. When you see somebody in a state of rejection or depression or whatever it is, dejection is maybe the best word. Uh -huh. And, you know, it's so easy to not say something and think, oh, what's their problem? Or, oh, man, I can tell they're sad. But I mean, gosh, it doesn't take much. Yeah. You know, very often it doesn't take much of an encouragement just like, hey, man, I can, you know, I mean, it's just like anything. It takes discernment and takes wisdom how to, how to, how to, discern just the other day uh, i'll give i'll give you this story i mean this is sure. how the lord works so i'm uh, i got i got kind of a unibrow right so i got about 15 <laughs> hairs that grow in between my eyebrows and so yeah. every week or two i'll pluck those things out because they just get crazy and wild right so uh -huh. i'm looking for uh, tweezers i can't i got one drawer in my, my, my bathroom and uh so i can't find it there so i start looking in all the other drawers kids are in there half the time my wife she usually doesn't take my stuff i'm sure it was the kids but i start looking in the other drawers and there's some, there's tampons seemingly in every drawer, you know, so I yeah. suppose. And I, and I thought of a devotional analogy and thinking of calling it <laughs> tampons, bullets, and Bibles, because as hunters, you know, we go hunting and we stuff bullets in our pockets everywhere. You know, you got one in yeah. your chest, every yeah. cart pocket, back pocket, pack pocket. Cause that way, when things get crazy, you know, yep. wherever you dig and look, you got a, you got a, a bullet. And so I, I carry these little copies of uh, New Testament around. I give them out to all my speaking engagements. A guy nice. gave me one, changed my life. And so I, I've kind of made a habit. I got them in every coat pocket, vest pocket in my truck. <laughs> I'm like, man, I really got to make a, a habit of just making sure that I have one on because you never know when somebody's going to yeah. need it. You're going to feel led that, you know, they could use that, For right? Sure. That's our sword in life. And uh, so that very day, I'm going to a speaking engagement in um, – Pennsylvania driving into into town to pick up my daughter and then we're we're going she's coming with me we're going to the airport 
and there's this girl on the side of the road just bawling, walking on the side of the road, 30 degrees. And so I drive by her and I see that and I go, there was a roundabout there, it was just got into town and I turn around, go back and I'm on the opposite side of the road. I said, do you need help? Can I take you somewhere? And she just shakes her head, says no, and she keeps walking. I said, are you hurt? Are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? And she says, no. And I said, can I pray for you? And she stopped and she looked at me and just bawling and she said, yes. So I get out of my truck and said, hey, can I come over? And uh, she said, yeah. So I come over, I pray for her. She gives me her name and I, you know, make sure there's nothing I can do for her. And uh, I give her my phone number. And I said, I just live three miles down the road. I said, if you need anything, you call, you can call me anytime. And she's early 20s and she's still just sobbing. And I told her, I said, hey, I don't know what you're going through. I said, but I went two, through two years of my life where every day I thought about putting a gun in my mouth and pulling the trigger. Hmm. But I'm here to tell you that God brought me through this and whatever you're going through, I know God can bring you out of it as well. And so she went on her way and I get back to the truck. And so this is like 30 minutes after I have this devotional idea and I realize, holy smokes, Billy, you got to give her a Bible. Yeah. And so I look and I've got mine that I bring to my speaking engagement that I've had for 20 years and got tons of notes. And I'm like, man, I hope I don't have to give her that one. And uh, in my in my briefcase, I had one of these. And so I ran back and I said, hey, can I give you this? And she said, sure. And she took it and she kept walking. She was she lived right down, not very far away. But um, and I, I don't know what That's happened, great, but man. the Lord works in mysterious ways. And what what will happen with that? I don't know. But I find it too coincidental that of all the years, I've never seen anybody crying on the side of the road like that. And that message came to me. 30 minutes before that happened. Totally, man. Yeah, I love that. I, I have the same thing. I have like a box of, of New Testaments in my truck. Like you can get on Amazon. They're like two bucks each or something. And um, so I kind of carry those around. And it's funny too. I, I, used, to, I used to do it more, but um, one day I saw some people and um, I just felt led. I can't remember the exact situation. I think it, Anyway, it doesn't matter. I felt led to give them a Bible. The only one I had was my personal one, like you said, with full of notes and highlighted everywhere. And it's like I kind of had an attachment to it, to be honest. And I did. And the I felt like the spirit was like, give him, give it to him. And I didn't because I wanted to keep like my Bible with my notes and stuff. And I ended up losing that Bible like two weeks later. <laughs> I've never seen it wow. since. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of a random story. But if you feel led to give something, just give it because you probably lose it anyway if you don't. Um but you said something in there, which I got to ask about, which is, um, and obviously face a big part of your life. And it's kind of one of the themes of this podcast. <clears throat> so you mentioned you went through, you'd walked through, I guess, a time of depression for a couple of years. Um, and so I don't know anything about that. Like, is that, did you get saved and come out of that? Or were you already saved? What's, what's your story there? Um, well, yeah, I've got, um, I wrote a chapter about it in my book and I've got it on one of my uh, trust the guide devotionals. I call it seven nights in a six pack. Um, it's, uh, I guess the, it kind of, kind of the whole thing that encompasses it, but basically I was a young man, uh, dated a girl for a couple of years and, uh, she was interested in getting married. And I, 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 I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready. Yeah. And that just pressure just created a poor dynamic. And, uh, eventually we broke up and it just, I lost all direction. It was kind of like I had achieved this dream. That was my biggest dream to be Alaska hunting guide. And I had achieved that. And I just didn't know where it was going. And I wondered if I made the biggest mistake in my life because I was doing something that nobody else that I knew did. I was living a lifestyle unlike anybody that I knew. And I'm like, man, is this just like going to college and partying for four years, you know, is this something that I should just grow out of and quit? And I just, I just lost all direction. And what brought me out of it was, and it seems to be like a secret recipe for, I, it just seems to be the, what I need because I'm so dumb and slow. I've always learned everything the hard way. I'm not really good at taking advice. I'm getting better, but I've always learned things the hard way. So I'm there, I'm, I'm in this, again, long story short, I'm in this camp all by myself, no communication of any sort. And this outfitter drops me off and I'm there five days by myself. And I, I was kind of at rock bottom. It was a spring hunt. 
for brown bear and I felt like I kind of told myself, I was like, man, you need some direction to go on, you know, after this hunt, you got to have some idea of what you want to do with your life. Right. And I'm praying, I'm pacing up and down this gravel bar, I believe it was 237 paces. And I mean, I basically just <laughs> ground a trench down in this thing. And the hunter, the outfitter told me he'd bring me 102 days. Well, five days later, he flies in and he hands me a package of pork chops and a six pack of beer and says, Hey, I took your hunter to some other guide who was seeing a lot of bears. He said, I'll have a different hunter for you here in two more days. And I'm like, Oh, whatever. But that whole five days, I was just praying and crying out to God, like, God, if you're real, I need you to show up. Like, give me some direction. I, what do I do? I'm lost, you know? And I'm praying and praying and praying and praying. And every day this cow and uh, uh, her yearling calf would cross the river by my camp, like, couple times a day and they knew i was there they just kind of moose is a moose yeah moose they really weren't paying any attention to me so i go back to my camp i fry a pork chop crack open a beer and here comes this cow and calf cow goes across the river and she's nibbling on willows and she looks to look back at her yearling who was halfway across the river and all of a sudden boom i just realized that any day now nature is black and white there's no gray area in nature any day now when the time is right, when her instinct tells her, hey, your new calf is coming because she's got a big swollen belly. You know, there's another calf or two in there. But when that triggers, when that switch flips, that cow is going to ostracize that yearling and make it survive on its own. It's going to have nothing to do with that yearling. And that yearling from that point on is going to have to fend off the wolves, the bears, the wolverines, every river crossing, every decision it makes. It's going to be up to it and it will never quit. Everything in nature strives to maximize its potential until the instant it dies. And I mean, it was just a light switch thing. I just realized, Billy, you either grab the gun, put it in your mouth and pull the trigger right here, or you move on with life. I mean, and it was like literally two years of depression was gone just like that. I mean, it's, it's just what it was. What I believe it was, did God put the moose calf there, the cows there? Did God come? I, I don't know. I think he communicated me but but what i believe it was is i was still enough yeah still psalms forty six ten. be still know that i am god lay it down know that i am god cease striving is another translation know that i am god i believe that romans 120 says that god's invisible attributes are so clearly seen by what is created that man is mm -hmm. without excuse and it's just like you get a beagle, a hunting dog, or a hound dog, and they lose the trail. What do they do? They, they start in small circles, just like you're blood trailing an animal. You don't go over here and go over there and look at that spot and then go look at that spot. That's never going to work. You just start small. Yeah. And I think if we did that, if we just took paid closer attention and just were still, and you look at what's around you, God's at work all around us. For you don't sure. have to run to Alaska to have a good hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But, but I believe that in that stillness, I believe more than anything, God orchestra probably orchestrated the events that I was there by myself for a week. For sure. And just to be still and cry out to him and have no other man-made distraction and just watch nature and watch that cow and calf all day. And all of a sudden, bam, it's just in that stillness and that surrender, that emptiness, that's where God comes alive. And that's the beauty of Alaska. You go do it and you will be tested. You will be, you will become empty and there is nobody to rely on other than you, the people you're with and God. Mm -hmm. And then in that adversity, one of two things are going to happen. Adversity is either going to be a wedge or it's going to be cement. And the beauty of the Alaskan wilderness, is kind of like the ultimate covenant keeper because there is nowhere to go. <laughs> you know, you there ain't no 911. I mean, you can do that, but it's got to be pretty darn dire yeah. before you before you pull push that button. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, like for uh, sure, it was it was a tough deal. But looking back at it, all things uh, work for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. When I look back at it, that's. I mean, I'm glad it all happened now because that now I can share that with other people. And when I look back. 25 years of guiding and I call the campfire, the hunter's altar. Mm -hmm. Every hunter knows what that's like. It's like a hunt is over. You do something particularly the tougher the hunt, the better when you get there and you're, you're with men in a intimate setting, you're with them every single day and every waking minute of the day. And you go through adversity together, you're having meals and it's like, 
you open up like a flower to each other, right? And you yeah. have these conversations that you would not have in any other <clears throat> arena. And what I've learned in 25 years is that every man has insecurity. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, the guy that seem, seems to have it all together at base camp talks the most, brags the most. Usually when you get him out in the wilderness, he actually has the least. Yeah. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah it's... I've been, it's, and I've uh, been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been humbled many, many times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, uh, like you're saying in your story, I mean, it's... Um, I think us as men, especially maybe men that are more in tune with the hunter that's inside, I believe all men or most men anyway. Um, it's funny how um, lack of direction, it seems like that's not like that big of a deal. Like I don't have direction, but lack of direction, lack of a sense of purpose, lack of a goal can be like crushing, debilitating. Um, that's – and. The other thing from your story is just, you know, um, distraction, like you're saying. I mean, every single thing in our modern life and culture is really designed to distract us from that stillness. And I think it's a very, yeah, it's a very intentional, it's not just an accident. Like, I feel like the more older I get, yeah, the more older I get, the more I realize there's no, like, spiritually speaking, there's nothing neutral. Everything's either, like, with the kingdom of God or it's the kingdom of darkness. And yeah. so it might seem neutral, oh, I'm just being distracted, but no, really, that's distracting you on purpose because stillness is so important. And so I try to intentionally build in some stillness into my day, um, wake up a little early, because if you don't, it won't happen. And even then, it's tough. Amen. A lot of things there. Uh, it's a proverb, but where there is no vision, people perish. Mm-hmm. Spot on. And I've always said, if you slice everything thin enough, it's either good or it's evil. Yeah. And to your point, that's exactly the point I was trying to make. So thank you in that, like you see the hound dog and everything in nature, they start small, they work close, pick up your phone. What does your phone do? Your phone takes you to, you know, a new car or a vacation or some rock band with yeah. a, you know, a half naked girlfriend of his and, you know, somebody that just plummeted into, you know, financial ruin. And it, it just, it just scatters you all over the place. Yeah. And yeah. It's just in the stillness. So we're just talking with um, a friend of mine who I don't know, the last couple of days, it's like, you look back at your life, like, where do you think, like, what are you going to, what are you going to reflect on and where are the most important moments of your life and the most treasured memories of your life? Where are they going to come from? Do you have kids? I do. Yeah, I got okay. two, number three on the way. Very good. You? Yep. Three, three daughters. Like oh, okay. where, where are the 90% of those memories are probably going to take place or, or they're going to, they're going to have happened in the kitchen table the dining room table, the kitchen, the yard, the, uh, the vehicle, you know, I mean, just like yeah. within a close proximity of the your small home. moments. Yeah. yeah. And I always say that about hunting is the greatest moments on hunting trips are, are so often seemingly insignificant when they happen and they, and it takes you years to look back at them in a big one that I learned all those years that we'd go, go up into the mountains. We, we had tons of sheep in our area at the time and we'd go shoot a dull sheep and then everybody, oh, okay, well, let's try to go back down to the valley. We can get a caribou before the hunt's over. And I'd do that. And sometimes you'd shoot, a, you know, get a sheep, a caribou and a grizzly bear. Maybe if you're lucky, you'd get a wolf and you do that all in a week, right? Wow. You're doing a good job as a guide, but I believe as a true professional, you should know more of what your clients want than they do. You, you should have a, a, an insight or something to offer them that they don't even know they want. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is after we shoot a sheep anymore, we gather up some willows and we cook the sheep ribs after you bust your butt, you know, hopefully for four for or five sure. days or whatever, and you're eating nothing but freeze dried and you grill those ribs and you have those conversations and you eat that fat and you feel that what, mm-hmm. what that does to your body. And then two, three years later, when I'm at some hunter's, uh, house and he, we're, you know, having a, having a beer or whatever. And we're looking up at that Mount. It's like, it's inevitable. It's like, man, 
that, that those ribs, that was the best meal I ever ate in my life. Yep. You know, it's those, it's those small details that that's, sure. that's what make, makes it. That's, that's what you remember. hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of a good segue because, um, you know, a lot of guys say, oh, you know, it's not, it's more about the experience than the kill and all that stuff. And that's true. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, I like killing stuff. <laughs> but uh, you. That's the end goal. What's that? Every, I mean, everybody yeah. wants to. That's sure. the end goal. Of course. But at least I heard a podcast. I don't know if this has changed since the podcast I heard, but um, have you still not like ever actually hunted yourself in Alaska? Not no. Okay, so you've got to be one of the most experienced hunters, you know, out there. Maybe the most experienced hunter in Alaska that's never actually killed your game species. That's crazy. So I mean, it's it's really not about the kill for you. No. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Come on, brother. What what's the Bible verse? <laughs> I'm gonna test you and put you on the spot. What's the Bible verse for that? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's better to give than receive. Okay. Yeah. For me, it is. As a young man, I went there. You know, I figured out, well, I'll guide for a while, and eventually the opportunity and doors of, op- of opportunity. I mean, yeah, I could have, you know. But, I mean, I was raising a family, particularly on the first 10 years. There's no way I could justify um, going hunting for myself and, um, you know, losing the income and having to buy the tag and all that stuff. Um. So, yeah, I don't know, probably about 10, 15 years into it, I, I'd say that I, I just kind of lost it. At one point, uh, I had my hunter tag go with a moose hunter. He tagged, shot a moose, shot a wolf, and he left, and I was there by myself, and I howled in this wolf. Didn't need a tag in the area, had no client. The thing comes into 100 yards, and I'm filming it, and I realize it's like, as he was kind of going away, I was like, I had time I could have shot him. And yeah. I was like, dang I don't, I don't want to just shoot him because I can. And I, and I don't know. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to film him. And I was like imagining that'd be pretty cool to have a wolf hide hanging by my mantle. But I don't know. I don't know why. I yeah. don't know. Why. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for shooting wolves. I mean, if I went, if I went there to hunt one, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't seem like that's my place. That's not my calling. I mean, I've hunted places. I've been to New Zealand and Africa and whatever. Um, I still shoot deer and I'll still go hunting. Matter of fact, I'm going turkey hunting in Northern California in a couple of weeks. But oh, nice! Yeah, I I I look at it as like it's I get to make 60 year old men's childhood dreams come true, and for me, it's more rewarding to do that. It's just it's who I am. I I feel that I'm a much better guide than I am a hunter. I don't mm. I don't know why, um, but I can take all the mistakes. And all the the all the things that I've done, and the things that I've tried, and the things that I've learned, and it's more so much more rewarding for me to give that to another person, yeah, than it would be because I feel like Alaska's given me more than I deserve, and if I were to go there to take something from it, it I just I don't know if the opportunity ever arose, I want. I'd maybe go sheep hunting for myself. You know, maybe yeah. that will come. You know, maybe that'll be my fly fishing and my wing shooting. Maybe I will start <laughs> to go up there and I'll hunt. Retired adult sheep. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's. No, I mean, there's something. I don't know. Like for me, it just seems like something very poetic about like highly experienced Alaskan guide, but has not hunted for himself. It just it just uh, it sounds interesting. But I was wondering as you were talking about it. I wonder if being something about being the hunter, you're like the trick, the guy pulling the trigger creates some kind of weird mental dynamic where it actually sort of clouds your judgment a little bit. Like, I wonder if you're almost more free to make clearer, better hunting decisions when you're not the guy pulling the trigger or like have all this pressure on yourself. Like, Oh, I got to kill. I got to kill, you know? Yes. I, I would say you're absolutely right. I'd, I'd be, man, I'd be more than willing to listen to anything that you have to say, because I'd say you're absolutely right. Because 
for me, when I tell this, some guys come to me and they say, Hey, I want to shoot a sheep. I want it. Or they'll tell, this is the words that I hear very often. I want to kill a doll sheep. And I'll, and I'll just say, Hey man, I appreciate that. And everybody that calls me that's interested in sheep hunting, that's, that's our goal. And as a guide, I want you to kill a doll sheep. And, and I'll, I, I mean, I don't mean to sound like arrogant with this, but I want the guy that says, hey, I want to go doll sheep hunting. Mm. Yeah. And then that's made it easy being the guide. You're probably exactly right. It's made it easy for me to look at it from that standpoint. Because as a, as a young guide, I mean, there was like 10 years, man, where it was my ego and my pride. I wanted every hunter, every one of my hunters to get a sheep more for me yeah. than I did for them, right? Because I didn't want to go back to base camp with to be the guy that, whose hunter didn't get one, right? right? Or whatever, bear, moose, all of it. And then, but I could see that in the older guides that over time, they kind of lost that. And when I, what really changed my perspective is when I went hunting with New Zealand, this guy named Craig Smith, awesome dude, great guide. Like it really changed my perspective that I realized like, man, I'm there to serve that hunter. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have an opportunity to give him, make his dream come true. And more recently, sometimes to witness, I mean, I'm, I'm really not preaching to those guys out there, but I think you just, uh, sometimes every once in a while I do, but not too often, but you have an opportunity to give, like I said, give them something they didn't even know existed. Teach them something about themselves that they never did before. I lived eight years of my life in a tent in the wilderness. And I'm here to tell you this is just like a diet. If you're eating junk food and you get off that junk food, right, you're going to feel better. And then if you then go back to that junk food, holy smokes, that's when you're really going to feel it. That's when you're going to realize like, oh, my gosh, I actually put this crap in my body. Yeah. You'll, 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 be, you'll be able to recognize what it does to your body just like that. When I'd go to the wilderness when I was really young, I mean, I'd be out in a tent for six months straight. I mean, I'd stay in a hotel in a house, you know, four or five days, maybe a week tops during that time. Uh -huh. but I was out in the wilderness and then I come home, fly back to Minneapolis. And on the way back home, the first time that I sit in traffic and I see nothing but brake lights and I look beside me and there's somebody in a car eating a Big Mac and on their phone, it's just like, it's depressing. Oh gosh, this is insanity. Yeah. You know, you, you remove yourself from that and then you come back to it. So I guess my point is, is like, I'm not the one writing the check. So it's easy for me to not worry about getting the sheep, particularly now I, I am, and I'm going to do everything in my power of to get my client, the sheep. But I realize that it's not the end all. You can do everything right in hunting and not get the animal. It's just the way it works. And that's the yeah. beauty of it. And if you can't accept that, it's like saying, hey, I want to go fishing. Well, if you have to have a fish, then go to the grocery store and buy a can of tuna. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go fishing or do you want to buy tuna? Right. It's the adventure. You got you to gotta let Alaska be Alaska. Because if it's a guarantee, mm. it's not Alaska anymore. What are you hunting for? For sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, my first trip to Alaska changed my life and we didn't kill anything. Um, but it still was like the coolest thing ever, you know, and, um, been back to hunt Kodiak in 21 and then going this year, hopefully to get my, my caribou. Um, cause it's, man, it's, it's, um, the opportunities for hunting Alaska are getting tougher and tougher. It's getting harder to find people, to book um it's harder to find transports I, I mean i had to literally talk this guy into uh it's a airboat i had to like basically talk him into taking me up on an off day you know and t i told him i'll float out on my own you don't have to pick me up you don't have to give me a base camp i'll bring my own stuff but anyway all i have to say is it's getting tougher and tougher um so i'm hopefully hopefully we'll um have a great hunt and um i know it's going to be an adventure tag or no tag um but 
the question I was getting around to was originally it was planned as a sheep hunt. Um, and the guide called me up uh, in the Alaska range. Guide called me up and basically said, there's no legal rams in my area. Um, so, and it's definitely a dream of mine still to hunt sheep at some point. But um, I would just like your take on kind of the 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 state of Alaska as far as kind of kind of more more DIY opportunity. Um, obviously, there's certain species like sheep that are not DIY. You have to have a guide, but um, just kind of the opportunity in Alaska where you see that going. Like, where what's the health of it? That kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, Alaska is so big and so vast. And I mean, and I've hunted a fair bit, but I mean, um, uh, you know, throughout the years, but obviously populations are changing. I mean, it would seem, I don't even know the statistics, but it generally seems there's certainly a lot of areas where the caribou population, for example, is kind of in decline. Mm -hmm. And then with the, um, like, how old are you? I'm 36. I just turned okay. 36. Well, kind of, well, I'm 45. So yeah, we're not too far off, but at least 20 somethings and 30 somethings, they're more willing to spend their money than, you know, the generation above us, me anyway, you know, they were pretty frugal, let's say. And so there's a lot more demand and it seems like the supply definitely isn't any higher on most animals. And then there's certainly a lot of information on readily available information on how to do things yourself. And I, and I mean, I love it. I mean, that's cool. The cool thing about a DIY man is you get, you get extra adventure to it. You know, you can plan and do all those things and then you get all that ownership, you know, every failure, every high, low, that's yeah. what makes it, that's what makes it an adventure. Right. So uh, I, th I think a DIY opportunity is, is outstanding, but you know, maybe, I, I got to believe that probably at some point in time, Alaska's at least in some areas is probably going to have to do a little bit less of the over counter opportunity. Yeah. That's part of the reason why it's so attractive. You know, you can go, you can just plan it, you can book the trip and you can go. But I suspect that there's probably going to be uh, more limiting done by fish and game to control. Yeah numbers and yeah i i i don't uh i probably don't I, i'm not a, I'm, not, I'm definitely not an expert in that for sure yeah. area in that field but um, how are the sheep doing in the in the brooks range overall you think well we had a major die-off um we lost about 80 percent of our herd in the area that i hunt about six seven years ago it's it's coming back but i mean it's still tough but you know what i i, I actually prefer that because there's so few sheep that we don't have much pressure because they're so hard to come by you really got to work for them like when i first started guiding there um you know we had we had really good numbers of sheep you know um there was more resident pressure because there was a lot of sheep and then after that die off um, there's and there's a lot of areas, and I would say sheep general across the state have, are down from mm -hmm. from what I know. Um, again, I'm not one pouring over statistics, more or less just people that I talk to, other you know guides, outfitters. Um, so there, there's definitely good sheep hunting to be had, but you know I've heard of stories not so much in the past. You hear about pretty low success in like the Yukon and. Northwest territories from different outfitters. Again, you know, this is all secondhand information, but I remember hearing from hunters talking about, oh, I could go to the Northwest territories. This guy was, had 35 hunters and they killed 35 sheep. Hmm. And part of me is like, I don't know if I'd want to do that hunt. Now that said, I mean, when I went to Africa to hunt Cape Buffalo, I think it's very, very rare that the hunters don't get one. I mean, so yeah. I, I don't, I don't mean to, I hope I don't sound holier than thou, but maybe yeah, it's yeah. just the philosopher in me. And yeah. uh, I know for me as a guide, again, it's easy for me because I'm not writing a check. Right. 
but I'm I'm glad. Like when I go to the Alaska Peninsula to hunt bears, you you're gonna get a bear. I mean, as long as there's not some major act of God, right? But we're there to try to target a, a big mature bear. It it is a little bit of an afterthought that you know, you're probably going to get a bear, but I mean, obviously with sheep, you got to be full curl or eight. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a different story or a moose got to be 50 inches. Right. So I love, I love the fact that we don't get one every time. Yeah. I love it because yeah. it makes it so it's not a given when you start out, when you know, right off of the get go, it's like, eh, there's a, you know, whatever you want to, let's just say maybe 75, 80%, you know, maybe a little better. 80 yeah. yeah 80%. And if you do everything right, there's a 20% chance you're going to fail. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, for sure. And as we talked about before, I mean, you personally are much more into the adventure and the whole experience than just the kill. And uh I don't know, I think is there so that's easy to say it's kind of hard to do when, you know, it's a bucket list hunt, you've been saving up for it, whatever, you know, you know how it is. I mean, it's, it's different coming from, you know, an average hunter's perspective. Um, are there any, is there anything you could say to, to somebody who may be starting off with their first trip to Alaska or thinking about it? Um, like, are there any ways that you could coach people to kind of, help them enjoy the experience and take some of the pressure off of I have to kill something. Yep. First thing I would say, if you're, if you're not a hundred percent committed to the bow, leave it at home. That'd be the first <laughs> thing that I'd say. I mean, if you're not willing on day 10 of a 10 day hunt the last afternoon and you're stalking a bear, if you know in your heart that you'd grab the rifle, I'd leave the bow at home. Mm-hmm. That'd be one to take, to take that pressure off. Right. Because it'll create pressure on everybody, particularly if you're guided to the people that you're with. Yeah. You're basically just going to be dragging an anchor behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd be my piece of advice there for that. Um, I would say there's an old saying, the wheel of misfortune has an equal number of stops for every man. Mm. So you can bet that if you do any hunting, you know, you can roll the dice and you can buy the one lottery ticket. And you can go on that one big hunt of your life and it, it'll, you know, you'll get the animal and it'll go the way you kind of imagine. But if you do it enough, just know that failure is inherent or, or not getting an animal is inherent. Yeah. If you go to it, it's like, man, I'm here. I would, I would bring it back to this. And, I, and actually, I've told this to a lot of people. If you have to kill one, if you can't imagine the thought of going to Alaska and not killing the caribou or the moose, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. If you can't stand, when you can't stand the thought of having not gone and tried, now you're ready. Nice. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Um, so where would you say is a good place for people who might be inspired by this and want to, and want to book something in Alaska? What's a good hunt, good species to kind of start off with? Yeah, um, I'd say caribou used to be pretty cheap, by far the cheapest option, and now they're getting pretty darn spendy because they're they're harder to come by. I mean, that's a good way to do it uh, for DIY, for sure. Um, but again, those are getting harder to, pretty hard to come by. I'd be pretty, like, I'm, I'm leery of the far, as far out as some of these hunts are booking out, particularly caribou. Moose generally, for the most part, seem to be a little bit more stable. Bears are stable. Moose are more stable. Um, you mean you're caribou, seeing more demand for caribou? Is that what you mean? Yes. Yep. Okay. So the price has gone way up and the mm-hmm. DIY because of the price. Um, you know, it's, it's the cheapest option. And I would say that's a great, that's probably the place where I always would have told people, yeah. um, if you're going to go guided right now, um, you know, grizzly bear hunts are, are, um, there, there's good quality grizzly bear hunts, not much more expensive than a caribou. And a lot of times you can maybe kind of combine the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you're, you're getting into some, <laughs> some maybe upper echelon type hunting, but for few thousand more i would say the going rate on a guided caribou hunts about 15 grand going rate on a grizzly bear is about uh 20 yeah um so any i used that that said it used to be caribou used to be about 50 percent the cost of a grizzly bear hunt oh wow 
they're, they're climbing just because I think the supply in general is low and the demand is so high. Yeah. Um, but yeah, black bear hunt, maybe like a spot and, a spot and stock black bear hunt on, on some of these uh, islands or, or along the coast would be good. Um, black tailed deer is probably the best value on Kodiak. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's pretty cool. Hunt. You kind of get Alaskan experience, see some bears hunt some rugged country. Um, so yeah, that, that, and, and doing a moose hunt is, yeah, do that yourself, do the preparation, get a buddy or something. That's yeah. a pretty cool opportunity again on a, on a budget, good way to learn. And one thing I have seen from a lot of people, and it kind of makes sense is a little bit counterintuitive, but their first time they go to Alaska, they'll go on a guided hunt just to learn. And then you're so much better prepared to yeah. do it yourself from then on. Sure. But again, if you put in the legwork, you watch enough videos, read enough books and get some good uh, um, resources, you know, a, a skilled seasoned hunter with ambition and initiative, you you can go in and be pretty darn successful on a lot sure. of these DIY hunts these days. Yeah. I mean, we did. So when I went on my first trip, I, I, I was with a buddy and he'd been to Alaska before, and he'd, he'd had some experience. But he wasn't a guide. He was just a friend. He's from Virginia, same thing. So that's an example of he was a pretty experienced hunter, uh, had done some Western hunting. Um, yeah. But we pulled it off, you know, DIY. And, um, I mean, we didn't we didn't fill a tag. But the thing is, we could have, actually, if I had done more research, because I had two different opportunities with animals in easy range but they were small bulls and i wasn't 100 percent sure they weren't cows mm. but i think if i had done my homework a little more i could have field judged them better but anyway yeah um, so it can be done maybe a good thing there too <laughs> you know that if, if you're still in doubt i mean yeah yeah it's, it's, uh, it was it was the wise yeah. decision not to shoot because that's if not you learn, you like, what did with. you learn like you'll never forget that lesson exactly you know yeah just never forget back it. Rome, page 28 all things work for good like you'll learn that and you'll never forget the hardest lessons are the best ones yeah because they're ingrained yeah. they, they they get drove in deep that nail's driven yeah. deep when it's painful when it when it's costly for sure and i mean you know i think it it'll be almost more rewarding if lord willing i am able to get one uh this next year you know it'll be kind of more rewarding you know I'll have absolutely um so and it'll you know so anyway looking forward to that hunt um and uh, I was going to say something about Kodiak, but um, that's a super, super fun hunt, man. Um, for people who who want to start off somewhere, I did that one last year. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say, but anyway, Kodiak's really cool. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. Um, it's been great talking to you. Um, you know, tell people where they can find your videos and, you know, check you out if they want to kind of see more of your stories and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, my, my website's billymolesadventures.com. If you Google search modern day mountain man, you'll find my website. I am on Instagram, the modern day mountain man. I am on Facebook. I think that's just modern day mountain man. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you look it up, you'll find it on YouTube. I've got a a few, probably 25% of my films, my Alaska hunting films on YouTube. Uh, I've got them on DVD and digital download on my website. I've got a men's ministry called Trust the Guide. Uh, you can find that on, on the same channel on YouTube. Uh, what else nice. do I do on there? Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, you'll, you'll find it. Google search Modern Day Mountain Man, and my name will come up. Cool. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, thanks again for your time. Um, hope we can stay in touch. Maybe maybe we can do a hunt together someday or something. Right on, man. Share a campfire. <laughs> that's what I love. It. That's, this, is yeah. what, this is what I take away from it. The greatest experience or the greatest blessing and what i love and what i'm addicted to is this wilderness immersion Mm. that's it takes a lot of time but that's that's what i love i think that's where the gold is that's that's what fuels me that's what uh fuels my soul that's what i love about it and that's where the title i mean it was just ever since i was a kid i wanted that's where i came up with the the title modern day mountain man came about as a title of the television show that I ran because mm-hmm. as a kid, that's how I wanted to live. I just, how, and I think that's iconic and every kid dreams of that living the life like a mountain man, just that yeah. simplistic lifestyle and just that basic lifestyle where you, you have to be in tune with everything around you. And again, that immersion as a guide, it's, it's, you know, that hunter comes in for 10 days. Well, I'll be up there for, 
you know, I'll be in the wilderness hunting. And even in Alaska, I think the most straight days it did was 89 and oh, wow. uh, just guiding. And so, I mean, you're, you, everything else just kind of falls away. And that's yeah. kind of where the magic happens. And it takes a lot of time. There's no hack and there's no shortcut for that. And yes. so, yeah, you want to learn and you want to be successful and you want to make up the most out, out of your opportunities. Um, but yeah, I, it's, for me, that's, that's what I found addicting and that's what I love about it. Yeah, no, I'm with you, dude. Like I remember as a kid reading, um, uh, like my side of the mountain, uh, if you ever read that as a kid who like lived in the wilderness alone and there's hatchet, like I was obsessed with these books and like obsessed with the idea of myself with like, um, just living in the wilderness. Right. Um, just so pure. And, um, of course that's, you know, it's a kid's, as a kid's dream, but, um, I was talking to this to somebody uh, talking about this to somebody earlier today, actually. Um, it's like when you go on these trips and it, I love how you put it, um, wilderness immersion. Um, and you can't, you can't hack it. You can't cheat it. You can't skip because what, de- what happens is you get on these trips and the first two or three days are kind of rough. They're, they're rough on your body. They're rough mentally. It's everything is completely different all at once. You know, usually you're getting off an airplane, you, you know, did some kind of usually pretty tough hike getting in there. Um, and then, you know, you're sleeping on the ground. The food's completely different. Everything's different all at once. You don't have all your technology and, you know, climate control. And and the first couple of days can be kind of tough. And then day three or four, you really just start to, like, settle in. You, like, embrace the dirt and the grime. And you just, like, it, something clicks and you can kind of – but you have to go through that initial kind of it's like you have to pay your your dues to get there you know this first couple of days of what am i doing with my life and then and then you're just there man and that that's a that's an experience that uh while i love you know deer hunting and you know walking out in my backyard and hunting and stuff like that and there's nothing wrong with it it's great there's something where that immersive multi-day experience is just on a different kind of level with the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. That's exactly <laughs> right. And I've said that in a 10-day hunt, you've got a five-day window. Because just like you said, it takes you three days to decompress, yep. forget about all the technology. And then somewhere about day eight, the hunter says, when I get back home, it's all over. They start uh, talking about what they're going to do when they get back home. Their mind switch, they start thinking about leaving. They get a five. So 10 days, you get five days of sweet spot. Yeah. So revel in that five days and, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, and that I, I recommend, you know, I know it's, it's tough with different guys with stuff, but if you're going to plan a big trip, like an Alaska trip or something, do 10 days, especially Alaska. I mean, you might lose three days to weather, you know I mean? Easy. So don't try to squeeze in like a four day Alaska hunt. I mean, it's better than zero days, but like, don't do it. (laughs) Nah. Yeah. (laughs) so well cool man this has been great man um appreciate your time and uh looking forward to hopefully talking again sometime in the future all righty brother appreciate it all right man thanks